Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some will take the posture anytime we gather together. Some will take the posture, what can I take? And others will position themselves and ask, what can I give? What can I take or what can I give? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, if you would, this morning. Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to begin reading at verse 6. It was just at the very beginning of this chapter that Jesus declared for the fourth and final time to his disciples that, that he, the Son of Man, was going to be delivered up in Jerusalem and be crucified. Just moments after he said those words in verse 6, it tells us that Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. John's gospel tells us that this woman was Mary, the sister of Martha. She came in and she poured it on Jesus' head as he sat at the table. And when his disciples saw it, they were indignant and they said, Why? This waste, for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. John's gospel account of this episode also tells us that Judas was the one who started this rebuke. He was the one who had the money box, and it was Judas and the other disciples who tried to rebuke Jesus in this moment. And verse 10 tells us that when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. You may be seated this morning. It was mere days before he would be placed on a cross to die. And Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And they were at the house that evening sitting at the table, likely in the middle of dinner. And a woman comes in the room and walks up to Jesus and takes a container a very expensive ointment, and she pours it over Jesus' head. Try to imagine with me this morning what it would be like to be sitting in that room as those events took place. Put yourself, if you would, in the seat of one of the disciples. When I try to visualize this taking place, it almost feels like it's out of place, like it's something that might happen on candid camera, there's a hidden camera somewhere, because it's so out of the ordinary that if you put yourself in the position of somebody who was in the room when this occurred, it seems outlandish. It seems like something they would never forget. They sat there at dinner, and suddenly a woman entered the room with a jar, a container of precious ointment, 
And without any announcement or any warning whatsoever, she took it and she poured it over Jesus' head. She walks right up to him and just dumps it over his head. Everyone in the room is left speechless as this happens. But as the reality of the moment sets in and there's no one that's coming out of a corner to say this is all just kind of a trick and this is we were just doing this to see what everyone's reaction would be. The aroma of the ointment, the purity of the liquid, the color of it, and the consistency of it runs down Jesus' hair and his head and his beard. And it makes clear that this was not the kind of perfume that you go and you buy, no offense, but it's not the kind of thing you go and you buy at Walmart or the Dollar General. This was something that was very precious. It was very expensive. It wasn't secondhand. It wasn't the leftover stuff. It wasn't a homemade recipe, but it was something that had been purchased at a high price. And a woman named Mary had entered the room at dinner time in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. And she had located Jesus at the table, walked up to him, and dumped this very precious ointment on his head. She was not messing around. She had come with intention. And the disciples quickly turned from a state of confusion and wondering what is going on that day. And they start to become, the scripture says, indignant. They start to become angry and upset at what Mary has done and what Jesus is allowing to happen. There was resentment that rose up among the disciples so much that they couldn't remain quiet. They began to rebuke Jesus and this woman for the events of what was happening with this oil. They said, why are you wasting this, Mary? The quality of this stuff is such that we could have sold it and bought many meals to feed the poor. We could have done so much, Mary, with what you just used to anoint Jesus. Judas informs us in another one of the gospel accounts that the cost of this perfume was worth 300 denarii or what would have been about 300 days wages. It was about a year's salary. And Mary's action that evening in Bethany at supper time left no doubt whatsoever what Jesus meant to her. Her actions confirmed what Jesus meant to her. She wasn't doing it for a show. She did it out of a pure love and affection and worship for Jesus. Jesus meant everything to Mary. And Judas and the other disciples simply could not understand what was taking place. And they rebuked Mary for worshiping Jesus. All of this was enough to take Judas over the edge that evening. Verse 14 picks up where we stopped reading a moment ago. One of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? They counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas sought 
opportunity to betray Jesus. It's the very next scene. Dinner time has concluded. The main course has already been cleared from the table. They've already said their goodbyes. And scripture tells us that Judas slips out away from the crowd after darkness has fallen over the land. By this time, it's late in the evening hours. And Judas is showing up in the temple, conspiring with the crowd of the high priests. And as the torches and the candles flicker, Judas converses with the enemies of Jesus. And under the cover of the darkness of evening, in hushed tones so that no attention would be attracted towards them, Judas finally asked the question that had been on his mind ever since Mary entered the room at dinner time and anointed Jesus with that expensive, precious ointment. He asked the question to the high priest, What are you willing to give me if I give up Jesus to you? My heart sinks every time I read that sentence in my Bible. It makes me sick to my stomach, and it grieves my spirit. Because in those words that Judas said, by candlelight under the cover of darkness... I see in those words the state of many disciples who even walk the earth today, who have followed Jesus, who have seen the miracles and the healing wonders of Jesus' power. They've heard his teaching and his gospel, and they've experienced firsthand the compassion of his hand. But the snare of Satan has caused them to reach the place where they give up worshiping Jesus. And listen, they don't even negotiate the price. He asks, what are you willing to give me if I'll give up Jesus to you? And scripture says they simply counted out 30 pieces of silver. Judas, aren't you even going to haggle with them a little bit? Judas, aren't you willing to even negotiate what the price might be for you selling out your worship? No. Judas does what so many do today. When they arrive at a place of leaving their worship of Jesus behind, And they don't even, they are not even able to properly assess the worth of what they are selling. Your relationship with Jesus is worth more than a relationship with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Your relationship with Jesus is worth more than a promotion at work. Your relationship with Jesus is worth more than time spent watching nonsense on TV. Somebody needs to get an accurate assessment this morning of what your relationship with God is really worth. It's worth everything. Judas is a picture for us today of how close a person can get to Jesus but not have a heart that's changed. There is a spirit of Judas That is at work in the world and even in the church today. And it's seducing young people and parents and grandparents into believing 
that their relationship with God is not worth the kind of thing that Mary did in Bethany that evening. When we look at these two episodes side by side, it's not difficult to see who valued Jesus more. Now, I want to tell you this morning, just for the sake of someone's conscience that's wondering about the question. When the disciples started to rebuke Jesus, they brought up the poor and they brought up the less fortunate. And that was kind of their their smoke shield, their reasoning for trying to rebuke and, and, and and, and call into question what Mary was doing that evening. They said, Jesus, we could have done so much with this. We could have taken care of people who really didn't have a whole lot to take care of themselves. And I want to tell you this morning that if you know anything at all about Jesus, you know that he is not opposed to caring for the poor. He's not against ministry, and he's not against reaching down to the lowest point. That's where he met you and me. He reached down, and he met each one of us at the point of our need, at that low place. And that's what Jesus is all about. But there is nothing more important or more urgent than loving and worshiping Jesus. And we can shout about that, and we can amen it, and we can agree with it. But the question that ought to pierce our hearts today is the central question posed by both the episode at the house in Bethany and the episode of Judas in the temple with the high priest. And the question that I would deliver to you this morning is what is Jesus worth? What is Jesus worth to you? Jesus has told these disciples time and time again, that his death is imminent. Even just moments before they arrived in Bethany for supper that night, the scripture records that Jesus declared one final time to his disciples that it wasn't going to be long and the Son of Man was going to be delivered up for crucifixion in Jerusalem. It wasn't the first time that his disciples had heard Jesus say such a thing. And every time it seems like that it happened. They would ignore it. They would argue with Jesus about it. Peter argued with Jesus about it. In the garden, when they were praying, and Jesus was praying so that he sweat those great drops of blood, and he was under such an enormous amount of stress because he knew Calvary and crucifixion was just days away. The disciples were apathetic. They, they just didn't care. They found themselves able to sleep in an environment like that. They would argue with Jesus about what was going to happen. They would kind of just ignore it and put it on the back burner other times. And then whenever the arrest came and Judas finally came and betrayed Jesus with a kiss in the garden, they would start to fight and they would get up in arms about what was happening. They would argue. They would be apathetic. They would draw their sword and try to fight. But Mary had accepted it. She knew what was coming. And Jesus said of what she did with that precious ointment, Jesus said these words, when she poured this perfume, this ointment on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. 
Mary understood what was going on. Mary, perhaps better than anybody else in the room, knew the price that Jesus was about to pay. How much more should we on the other side of Calvary, seeing what the price was that Jesus paid at Calvary in days past, how much more should our worship reflect that of Mary's? How much more should our devotion and our consecration reflect the level that Mary displayed that evening in Bethany? She knew what was coming. I love the way Mark's gospel puts it. Jesus said these words. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She's done what she could. She's done what she could. She couldn't fight off those soldiers for Jesus. She couldn't influence Pilate for Jesus. She couldn't carry the cross for him. She couldn't take the nails for him. She didn't have a tomb to offer him. But what she did have was a vial of precious ointment. And she could give him that. She has done what she could. Have you done what you could? I know exactly where we're at right now. I know the kind of message that I've come to preach this morning. Have you done what you could? What is Jesus worth to you? Child of God, don't be swept away by the spirit of Judas that is at work in this world that tries to convince you that Jesus is not worth it. Don't trade in your relationship with God for a cheap imitation. Don't trade in your worship of Jesus and your devotion and your personal relationship with him. Don't trade that in for something that's temporary and fleeting today. Because he's worth it. We're not saying today that we have to get so narrow in our religion that we stop caring for people. And that we don't care for the poor. And that we completely disregard people who can't take care of themselves. Or people who need the love of God in their life. Or somebody that needs ministry to be handed out to them. We're not getting to that place today. Because when you think about it, loving Jesus and caring for your brother run really close next to each other. 1 John tells us if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. The one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. What I'm saying this morning is that if we don't properly assess the value of Jesus, we're going to miss everything else that's important. Everything you do in life, everything you hope to do in life, everyone that you hope to have a hand, a positive influence on in their life, it all flows from that relationship 
with Jesus. That's what Mary had right. Mary understood, if I'll get this right, then everything else will get into alignment. If I'll worship Jesus, if I'll do what I can in the presence of God, then everything else that I hope to do, everything else that God desires to do in me and through me and for me will come into alignment. That's the place where you want to be child of God. That's the place where you want to get to this morning if you're not there. I've got to get right with my worship with the King of Kings. And only then can everything else that's going on finally get into order. As the musicians come, if Jesus has done anything for you, this passage ought to move you this morning. Because when you were at your lowest point, when you were at the lowest of the lowest point, and you were valuing, listen to me this morning, when you were valuing the wrong things, has anybody ever gotten to the place where you say, I've been giving my attention to the wrong stuff. I failed to keep the main thing the main thing. I let the secondary stuff get in the way of the main thing. We've all reached that place, and that's where Jesus found each and every one of us today. He found us when we were at that lowest point. He found us whenever we were putting the value of the greatest things on the wrong items entirely. We were focused on things that were temporary. We were focused on things that weren't going to last. But Jesus came, and he found us and just... Days later, Mary had broken that ointment over Jesus. And Jesus addressed the question that ought to move every person in this room. If you've ever wondered what you were worth to Jesus, he went to Calvary and he put it on display. The question that I've brought this morning is, what is Jesus worth to you? And as we stand together, I feel like the Holy Ghost is going to lead somebody to respond to that question. But the reason you need to understand this this morning, the reason that you're going to be able to respond to the leading of the Holy Ghost, to answer that question for yourself, is because Jesus, when confronted with the question, how much are you worth to him? He went and he paid the ultimate price of crucifixion at Calvary. He gave his entire life so that you would know what you were worth to him. lift up our hands right now the Holy Ghost is wanting to minister right now what is Jesus worth these altars are open and if someone today has reached a point of putting their worship up for sale if you put your purity up for sale if you put your integrity your consecration if you put your relationship with God up for sale even your very salvation 
You don't need to allow Satan to have a single square inch of real estate in your life. You don't need to let any spirit that's not the Holy Spirit dictate what you do and how you respond to God right now. There's a spirit of Judas that's at work that tries to convince the church, that even tries to convince disciples, committed people that have seen the power in the work of Jesus that it's not worth it. But I've come today with a message to tell somebody, your relationship with God is worth it. I don't know. I know that there's struggle. I know you face obstacles. I know there's a price that you're going to have to pay this morning to walk with God. But these altars are open. Would you come to the front and would you create an atmosphere of ministry in this